Hi everyone, my name is Yusra Iftikhar and I am your Director of Communications and my gender pronouns are she, her, and hers. Welcome to APTA Live Student Night. This is a part two to our June series, Fostering Allyship in Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, and I am very excited to be highlighting the student voice again tonight. If you've been here before, you might remember the monthly exchange essay chats. APTA Live Student Nights will follow the same format where we'll host discussions on topics of interest with guests every month and take questions live from viewers. Tonight, we're talking all things allyship to the LGBTQ plus community in PT. Go ahead, shout out your name, your year, and your program down below. If you're a current student or a fresh PT, go ahead and also post your questions in the comments throughout tonight's interview and use hashtag APTA Live if you're engaging on Twitter. I do have a quick disclaimer that's gonna sound very similar to the one I gave in part one and is on behalf of tonight's panel. We know that these conversations can be difficult and uncomfortable, especially for those of us for whom they're new. We hope you will view tonight's conversation not as calling out any one person or institution, but rather an opportunity to learn and gain valuable insight from two current students in two different DPT programs. I tweeted earlier this week from my personal page that I promise to maintain your anonymity tonight so please ask your questions free of the fear of judgment and I'll ask my board members who are scanning for questions not to send me the person's name alongside their question. I hope you will also watch tonight with the recognition that my guests do not have this option of anonymity. So we hope you'll allow us all grace and open mind and your understanding that while Howie and Madison have powerful voices, they still represent only themselves and their experiences. All right, let's jump right into this interview. Madison, we'll start with you, then we'll go to Howie. Please introduce yourselves to our viewers. Hi, my name is Madison. I use she, her, hers pronouns, and I'm a third year student at the University of St. Augustine for Health Sciences, Austin, Texas campus. Hi, I'm Howie. Um, pronouns are he, him, his. Uh, I am also a third year student at uh, Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond, Virginia. All right, so congratulations on your third year status. Um, and Madison, you are in clinical rotations right now, correct? And how you are yes. not? Yes. Okay, okay, got it. So we'll keep that in mind going forward. Um, Madison, when I originally proposed this APTA Live, I actually initially suggested a different weekend. And you asked if we could do it tonight instead. What's the significance of tonight's date? Today is the 51st anniversary of the Stonewall Riots. And for those people that don't know, um, Stonewall was a gay bar in Greenwich Village in New York City. It was owned by a mafia family that had a lot of really shady business practices. Um, but what they did provide was a safe place for the LGBTQ plus community to congregate. And that was illegal at the time. Um, so those gay bars at that time were really subject to a lot of police raids, but the mafia family that owned it paid off the police. So they were supposed to tip them ahead of time hey, we're gonna come in and that way it protected their patrons and it protected the bar as well. Um, but on the night of June 26, 1969, or excuse me, June 28, 1969, um, the police that were paid off did not tip off the bar owners and a search warrant was served on that bar um, with the sole purpose of arresting um, the gay community at that time. And certain patrons were allowed to leave and the ones that were left inside were mostly people of color. And um, there, the, the word trans was not at use at that time. It hadn't really been created. Um, so they were drag queens and what they called at that time cross-dressers, which is not an okay term to use now. 
but they were held inside and the people that had been let go were supposed to leave, but instead formed a group outside where they were protesting police brutality and this homophobia. Um, things escalated. A, a butch lesbian black woman by the name of Stormy Delarvi was arrested and was resisting police brutality when they hit her on the head with a baton. And she famously turned back to the crowd and said, basically, aren't you guys gonna do anything about this? Um, and the crowd really responded from there. And so there's a lot of mystery about who really threw the first brick, so to speak, but a riot broke out and there was over 500 people that were either from the bar or they were from the neighborhood. Um, and that's really the reason that we have pride parades now and Pride Month. So without those trans women of color, mostly black trans women, um, we would not have Pride as we know it today. Yeah, and so that takes me to my next question about that intersectionality. In part one of the series, I asked my guests, Michael, Mark, and Brianna about navigating Black Lives Matter during Pride Month. So I wanna ask what it's been like for both of you to navigate celebrating Pride Month while also being an ally to the black community and recognizing that intersectionality there, especially for black trans women, like you brought up who are historically and currently part of a, a particularly targeted group for hate and violence. Do you wanna go first, Howie? Sure. Um, I mean, I think for, for me personally, it's very easy to support both. Um, I've never had, I've never felt like I've needed to pick one or the other. Um, both are extremely important and very needed and obviously both do matter and i have seen some posts on social media and around which is that is unfortunate where they you know they think that black lives matter is taking away from pride month or pride month is taking away from black lives matter or whatever and it, it's to me a bit upsetting to see that people for some reason have the desire or the want to pick one and not accept the other when communities like these are very connected especially looking at the history of Pride Month and the queer and trans community and how, you know, trans women of color, specifically black trans women are, you know, pioneers for this community and very, very important. And we need to recognize that. Yeah, absolutely. Madison, anything to add? Um, I agree with Howie. It should be really easy to support all of these movements, um, especially again, like we've both said, because we would not be where we are now without those black trans women um, and those other people of color that really started this movement and then just kept their feet on, you know, on the gas pedal. Mm -hmm. um, and we should be sure that intersectionality is a part of all of our social movements because there are always members of communities that are not recognized as they should be even in their own communities. So in, in the LGBTQ plus community, black trans women are, are most targeted. And you know, in the black community, they're still part of that community. So they're still the most targeted and we need to have um, space and visibility for those uh, most targeted members. Sure, absolutely. So um, I feel like I know y'all pretty well at this point, um, having followed you both on social media, having had multiple conversations about this, but could you tell the audience a little bit more just about um, why you feel like you've, either wanted to or had to speak up on um, LGBTQ issues um, and how you've been doing that in your own communities and on your own social pages. Howie, we can start with you and then go to Madison. Sure. Um, 
I I wasn't like growing up I never really had the desire to kind of use my voice and kind of speak out about my experiences and things like that um but very recently I was had the amazing opportunity to write a piece for APTA which is which has been phenomenal I've gotten a lot of great feedback from but I think I've been a lot more inclined to speak up and use my voice since coming into PT school mm-hmm. um I had some negative experiences as many students do of that come from minority backgrounds in any sort of institution that's a predominantly white institution. Mm-hmm. And I was very fortunate to find some folks who were very um, supportive and very accepting and really, really understanding that there is a, a lack of um, spaces for specifically LGBTQ plus folks. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was really fortunate to find people to be those allies and to support me through my endeavors to kind of help create a space in which I did at uh, VCU, we were able to create a space called Practice with Pride. Mm-hmm. And it's basically just a um, open like lunchtime hour session where any student um, who identifies as part of the LGBTQ plus community can come and meet other people who identify as part of that community as well. Um, anyone on our health science campus you know, so then it's a bit of intersectionality in terms of not just identity, but also profession. And then we get to meet um, faculty members and staff who have navigated their life as being part of that community, but also being part of the health profession. And it's, it's been really, really great to kind of expand your network when normally it's not the easiest to do, especially when so many programs are already siloed in their own little, you know, uh, buildings and rooms and classes and all of that. Yeah, I was going to say that sounds like a really great interprofessional opportunity too. And then from the sounds of it, it's not just students, but it's faculty members as well coming in and sharing their experiences. And I can imagine that only helps to kind of break down some of the this the the fear associated with that power dynamic too, I think. So yeah, that's great. And I, I think it's fantastic that you've been a part of starting that and keeping that going at VCU. So they're very lucky to have you there. Madison, tell us about well, whatever you want to tell tell us about, but definitely tell us about Instagram. Um, yeah, um, I've always felt well. I was always told by my mom specifically to to stand up for what you believe in, um, and that's an interesting. I don't know. My parents are very uh, unaccepting of many things. They're racist. They're sexist. Well, not sexist really per se, but they're homophobic. They have a lot of not great beliefs but they always taught me to stand up for myself and so after I came out um, I really started doing that for the LGBTQ plus community um, because there was just so many instances that I was not being supported or I was having really negative experiences and because I was raised to speak up for myself I felt like I was able to do that thankfully um, and have my voice be heard Um, and so I started my Instagram because I didn't have any role models to look for in the PT community that are in my community, the LGBTQ plus community. Um, And so I started that really just to see if anybody else was actually interested in trying to increase inclusive um, healthcare and make that a thing and let other people know that I am here. And there is at least one person that you can see in the profession um, because that can be really powerful. Mm -hmm. So Um, And that's been an amazing tool. Like I'm connected to PTs all over the nation, students and professionals, OTs. I've got some speech language. I've got some um, 
just other healthcare professionals and even even some people across the world. Um, wow. And they're asking me for resources and I'm able to learn from them and, and help them out. And so it's been a really amazing platform and I never really thought that um, it would become what it's becoming, so. Yeah, absolutely. And I can't remember if you said this, I apologize, but your Instagram account is at LGBTQ Physical Therapist. Um, yes. I would highly recommend everyone go follow that account. I know that's not your personal account, but um, like you said, you've, you've been able to provide so many resources. Um, tell me more about Terminology Tuesday. Yeah, um, the feedback that I get from a lot of people is um, a lot of older people that are like, I don't know what those letters stand for. And even a lot of younger people don't. And um, there's always new terms coming out. So it's always something that I need to brush up on and make sure that I'm up to date on. Um, you don't just inherently know this stuff when you're part of the community. Um, so Terminology Tuesday is a way for me to break those terms down of the most common terms that are in the community um, that healthcare professionals would need to know. Um, so most people know the LGB, um, but I definitely highlighted the T because that again is a marginalized community. I highlighted non-binary. There are some other things um, that I highlighted and I really just want it to be like, you can read the post and you can say, okay, now I know that term and I feel comfortable with that term and I know what to associate that term with and what to not say, because there's a lot of things that you're not supposed to say mm -hmm. um, that can be very hurtful for people. And so I want to highlight this is why it's important. This is what the term means. And these are things that you should absolutely not do um, in the hopes of saving some people some hurt and also saving some people the embarrassment for people that really want to do the best that they can and have the right intentions, but just don't have the appropriate language for that yet. Sure. And then just to make sure that we're not making any sort of assumptions, would y'all mind real quick saying what LGBTQ stands for? Yeah. Um, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and then the plus is a bunch of everything else, basically, because if you put all of those letters, it looks kind of like people say alphabet soup. Um, <laughs> there's there's a lot of terms, a lot of people in the community. Yeah, and like you said, too, I think you make a really great point that you're not, we're not all born knowing exactly what those terms are, what they mean, and um, people are doing the work to, like you're doing the work, for example, to help other people to understand those terms. So say I don't have an Instagram, say I happen to not follow you for some reason, um, and I don't know what's okay to say, what's not okay to say, how do I still become an ally who's, you know, fearlessly speaking up for people who can be um, an active ally without being really afraid of saying the wrong thing? And either of you or both of you can take that question. I can go. Um, one of the things that I like to tell people is that if you have a friend that's in the community and you know them well, and you would like, and you can confidently say that you are close friends. For me personally, I'm always very open to answering any sort of questions that you may have. I might not have all the answers. Um, I probably don't have all the answers, but mm -hmm. I am more than happy to help you along with that journey, especially if you're asking in a way that is to help your future understanding of the community and help with your profession and how you want to be more, you know, inclusive and, you know, just more respectful to your patients or your colleagues or your peers. Um, also, Google is a great resource. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of us that are in PT school and 
also or who are PTs or PTAs, you know, we are, we're taught how to do research and evidence-based practice. So you can use those same skills that you're taught to use the internet to your advantage to really kind of see what is what is the new lingo, what is okay to say, what is not okay to say, and what or what is what are some outdated terminologies, what aren't. Yeah. Um, did y'all think you'd be talking this much about this part of your identity coming into PT school? That's a question I asked last time's guests as well. And they theirs was a resounding no, <laughs> that they did not think they'd be talking about their race that much. So did you think you'd be talking about um, being part of the LGBTQ community this much while in a PT program? <laughs> no. They did the same. Mostly, and I don't, I don't want to stereotype people because I hate when I'm stereotyped, but mm -hmm. Texas is part of the Bible Belt and very religious people tend to not like me and my community. Um, and so I just figured people would be really turned off to that. And I wasn't planning on starting my Instagram either. Um, so I, I was like, yeah, I'll kind of share that with a group of friends and that's probably as far as it'll go. And then now I'm like the little rainbow uh, sheep on campus. And so, and I've got the Instagram. So it's definitely way more than I thought that I would be talking about it. Do people in your program know about your Instagram? Um, some of them do. I, I don't do like a lot of self-promotion. That's it's really weird for me. <laughs> so I have I have friends that follow me and some other people that I know are in my program um, and some people that are on other campuses because my school actually has five campuses now. Um, so, okay. yeah. Got it. Okay. Got it. And then Howie, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I I was not expecting to, you know, be as, like I said, you know, I when I was growing up, I never really thought I would be in this kind of space and like, you know, be using my voice. I mean, I'm not out to my parents. So mm -hmm. that's a, a whole nother navigation in terms of social media and just like making sure that, that those are mostly private and, you know, keeping things to myself. But I mean, since I have been reaching out to many people within the community, but also within the PT community, it's been phenomenal. I've been really, really enjoying the connections that I've been making. and I definitely wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. Howie, I want to ask you too, um, you have the luxury of being a double minority. <laughs> so you're part of the LGBTQ community, you're also Asian American, um, and you wrote about that dual identity in your blog post for APTA. Um, it's called Being Myself. I would highly, highly recommend everyone read it. Um, I just read it for like the fifth time, right? Before and it, it hits me really hard. Um, what has that been like for you navigating uh, both of those identities on top of everything else that you are too. Um, do you feel comfortable being entirely yourself at school? You said you're not out to your parents. Do you feel good being entirely yourself at home too? Tell us a little bit more about that part of your life. Yeah, um, I mean, the article says it all for the most part. I mean, I think there was a point in time where I felt when I came to PT school, I had felt like you know, moving moving out of my parents' place and, you know, being in a completely new city with some with completely new people, I felt like I could truly be who I wanted to be in terms of like really flourishing with my Asian American identity, with my queer identity as well. Um, but unfortunately that wasn't the case. I wasn't, I, I came into, I was thrown back into, a, you know, a PWI and I felt like the Asian identity had to kind of be suppressed a little bit, which is hard to do when you look Asian. Right. <laughs> um, but I mean, I think I've been able to kind of navigate and learn that that I 
am allowed to be who I want to be and I'm allowed to be myself and that's perfectly fine and I really enjoy doing it. I mean, I have had the luxury to make amazing friends in my program and at my, at my campus and back home as well who, who know all of me and they know, you know, things I love, things I don't love and all, all everything about me. Yeah. Um, but it is, at the same time, it is difficult and it is stress inducing every time I do go back to my parents' place. Mm -hmm. um, just because I have to be a lot more cognizant about how I say things, what I say, you know, I have a, I have a partner who I don't talk about at home and I can't talk about. So it's a little, it is stressful, but I mean, I'm, for the most part, I'm very happy with where I am now in terms of my identity and everything like that. Got it. Got it. Thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah. Madison, you've talked in the past about being white and feeling like you can hide parts of your identity to some extent if you need to. Can you talk a little bit more about why you felt that need? Um, because a question I asked my guest last time was sometimes the question comes up and it's very well intentioned that, well, why can't you just be yourself? You know, you should just be yourself. You should just be happy being yourself. So um, have you ever felt like you couldn't be entirely yourself? And why is that? Um, yes, I have. I felt like I couldn't be entirely myself for the first 23 years of my life. Um, like I said, my parents are not accepting. They're very um, conservative with their views um, to the point of it being like really, really conservative, kind of probably as conservative as you would imagine the worst case scenario. Um, so I wasn't out for 23 years um, because I didn't feel safe. Mm -hmm. And when I was talking about that, that I can hide if I want to, one, I don't want to, um, and two, there's a certain level of guilt that I have that I can hide because not everybody can, um, but it's, it's not like, it's not easy. Like once you embrace who you really are and you start living your truth, asking somebody to go back into the closet even for like five minutes is like actual hell, you know, it, you know, the closest that I could imagine. Mm -hmm. um, because that's, there's a lot of emotions tied to that. And there's a lot of repression tied to that. Um, so asking somebody to do that is like asking, you know, people of color to suddenly become white, you know, like you just you can't do it. Um, and you don't want to, right, you want to be proud of who you are, you want to live authentically. Um, but I could if I wanted to, because I look, you know, stereotypically like a heterosexual sexual person, like, right? and the reason that people think that is because there's a lot of stereotypes about what a woman in the LGBTQ plus community looks like. Um, and a lot of labels that are assigned to me when I say that I'm married to a woman, doesn't matter how I identify, they always put usually lesbian, and that's not how I identify. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a certain stereotype that goes with that. Mm -hmm. But to me, every time that I am out and about, and literally when I have opportunities where I have to come out because it's constant, mm -hmm. I always have to weigh, am I safe in this situation being who I am? Or would it be better just to not say anything or to intentionally not correct people? Mm -hmm. So a lot of my patients they'll see the ring on my finger and they'll say, oh, are you married? And I say, yeah. And they're like, oh, your husband must be so nice. And instead of starting a conflict, which is usually what happens, mm -hmm. um, especially given the crowd that I'm around right now, it's easier for me to just be like, yeah, because my wife is, you know, is really sweet. And she is <laughs> what the, what the people say, you know, 
but the assumption that she is a man makes me feel unsafe because for me to correct then puts me in an unsafe situation and I'm also out here alone Mm -hmm. so if somebody was to find that out and then find out where I am Mm -hmm. it's not so far-fetched to think that my safety would be in danger um, or my educational safety because if my clinical instructors don't agree with who I am Mm -hmm. then you know having bad reports and evaluations could cause me to lose my internship and then I would not pass and have to retake and um, so there's a lot of considerations. Right, right, absolutely. Howie, did you have any thoughts on that that you wanted to add anything to or? I mean, it's the same. I think a lot of people who are part of the, you know, queer and trans community, they, a lot, they have to out, they have to weigh the good and the bad a lot in terms of how they want to tell people who they are. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are times where I, I'm I'm in I'm in Philly right now, but I mean back in Richmond for school when when my partner was visiting or I'm here too. Like we've if we were held holding hands on the street, like we've been yelled at slurs and like you know it's not fun that for that to happen. So there are times, but at the same time, there are also people who like see that and they're like you know super happy about it and they're like they love you know they love love. I'm like yeah sweet, <laughs> but so like we have to. It's a constant, especially with strangers. Mm-hmm. that you don't know and especially within a you know a profession like ours where we are hands-on mm-hmm. you know people can take it the weird the, the wrong way or whatever that means to them and so a lot of the times we do have to just kind of balance if, it, if it's worth it because a lot of times sometimes it just isn't yeah so both of you brought up um or madison you brought up your clinical internships um and both of you being third years you may have now a better sense of what it's like in your programs, what it's like um, for you specifically. So if you were to talk right now, say to program faculty, what are some things that you would want the people who are watching right now to know about being an inclusive faculty member? Um, and should they open that conversation with you? If you, um, if you do come out to them specifically, like should they be seeking that conversation out? Should they wait for you to come to them? Um, Is there other stuff they can do in the classroom or in their syllabi to make you feel safer? Madison, you can go first. Oh, okay. (laughs) I hate doing that because I don't want to like start talking and then you want to talk. I think in in our curriculum specifically, um, cultural competence isn't really addressed at all. Um, so that's a larger conversation that obviously, you know, needs to change in our program. But um, I know Howie and I have both talked to you about having case studies where the patients are very explicitly part of the community. Um, and that's just one way that we can start breaking down some stereotypes and really have some representation and having a cultural competency class as part of curriculum I think should be mandatory in all programs because our patients are diverse but our classrooms are not mm-hmm. and a lot of people aren't comfortable trying to make connections to increase their own cultural competence so if you make it mandatory and do it well then at least that provides some sort of baseline um, foundational knowledge um, but it's it's really simple things like faculty should be there in any form to support students and wearing, you know, a little pin like this or another, you know, like a black power fist or something that visibly tells me that you are a safe person for me right. because I can't assume 
you know, of the three of us, none of us look stereotypically part of the community and yet two of us are, mm -hmm. right? And so we're not gonna know as students if it's a safe space unless it's explicitly stated. And that can be in the form of pronouns at the end of um, email signatures. It can be, you know, when the curriculum is made to be more inclusive, it can be the pins. Um, it can take a lot of different forms and it should, it should take many forms. So it's almost overly stated that it's a safe space for students. Cool. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, I've been very, very fortunate to have two faculty members who are part, who identify as part of the community and they have always been very, very upfront about it. I mean, whenever, for one of my faculty members, she, when she gave us our first lecture or a couple, first couple lectures, she just mentioned offhand that she has a wife. And to someone like me, that means a lot. Like, some, many people might not just like pick that up or they might just brush it off, but like that shows me that this person could be someone that I could talk to about any sort of issues that I might have with my, I, you know, my sexual, sexuality. Right. Um, and I, I had a, very short clinical who with someone who also identifies as part of the community and she's now a faculty member at VCU as well and mm -hmm. I had a blast like I could I could feel like I could be who I was and who I am and I didn't feel like I had to weigh the cost benefit and all this different things so I think it's being vocal about being supportive is I think one of the most important and frankly very easy thing to do um I, I wouldn't recommend necessarily saying that like Hey, if you are gay and you want to come talk to me, come talk. Just you know, just make make it subtle, make it easy. It's yeah. and, you know, yeah. Yeah, and everything you said too just kind of points back to how important representation is um, in any profession, in our profession in particular. I think that the fact that you had um, somebody who was going to be your mentor anyway, and the fact that you could identify with them in more in more than just wanting to help your patients through physical therapy, I think um, is huge. So that's great. I'm glad you had that experience. Um, we have a question here from Facebook, actually kind of about representation. Um, somebody asked, people in the LGBTQ community face a lot of discrimination from their healthcare providers. Um, do you think that's at all part of the reason why PT has a poor LGBTQ representation um, due to fear of biases or not being treated equally? It's okay if you don't have an answer to. No, I think that could play into it. I think it more gets back to just the lack of representation. Like one, I feel like most of us don't really know anything about APTA board members. Like we know Sharon Dunn's the president, but there's no obvious representation, um, you know, until recently when she made a statement about Black Lives Matter um, and when one of, I can't remember which one, but when Trump introduced um, something that, a, a law that was basically allowed healthcare providers to discriminate, she made a, a statement that, you know, that's not best practice and that's not what our organization's about. Um, but other than that, like, we don't have very much representation. I didn't even know about PT Proud, which is um, a section under the Health and Policy Administration um, chapter, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but I didn't even know that was a thing until this year. Um, and I'm a third year PT student. I've been active in pre-PT clubs, you know, the whole thing. Um, so there's just a lack of representation. And if you're not shown that you can do something, you know, that can really 
deter you from things. And we, we see that in STEM all the time with women and people of color being turned away because they're not represented well. And healthcare is just like that. That makes sense. Um, someone here has a question for y'all. Um, Madison, when you were talking about potentially being at risk within your clinical rotation, um, someone asked, do you know if there are any protections in place within your school um, if your clinical instructors or clinical rotations were to have a problem with your identity? There are, before I, I accepted my um, acceptance to my program, I specifically looked at their policy um, and there is nothing in the school policy currently or at that time that would protect me based on my sexual orientation. Okay. Um, and then to elaborate on that, my school always takes the site's word over the student no matter what. And that really does mean that. I had a classmate that had a really bad experience with his um, clinical instructor over something totally different had three letters of recommendation from other employees at that site saying he did not do what that lady said that he did. Um, she's had all of these problems and the school wouldn't even look at it. They took her word over his and he failed that internship. And now he is a class below me. Um, and so that I think needs to change. I mean, they tell us that if you bring these things up, these issues up early, that they can try to intervene and, and place students in different areas. Mm -hmm. But I have not seen that to be the case based on that student's experience and other student experiences that I've heard of. That is really tough. I do wanna ask you about uh, a positive experience that you had with a clinical instructor recently. Um, I believe there, I'm not gonna, it's not gonna be the right term, but like your secondary CI sort of, um, you recently mm -hmm. posted about celebrating your 10 month an wedding anniversary, which congratulations, first of all. Thank you. Um, but can you tell me a little bit more about what that CI did for you, um, how that person was almost like a safe space on their own? Yeah, um, she, I only work with her directly um, Fridays because my other clinical instructor is Monday through Thursday, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, and I had brought up something that my uh, main clinical instructor had said that kind of bothered me. And I was trying to test the waters to see if I could find a, a safe space there. Cause at that time I wasn't out at my clinical site. Mm -hmm. um, and she did create a safe space and, and she, you know, specifically made it a point to say that I was okay and she would support me and that my main CI just needs to be educated more about, you know, social issues, but she is also supportive. Um, and actually on Friday, we had an hour and a half long chat about um, just a lot of different things. And she thanked me for giving her a space because she doesn't get to talk to people like that because yeah. her, her views aren't supported where we're at either. Um, and she asked me about my experience being out and growing up the way that I grew up and about my wife. Um, and so she really made me feel like I'm welcome and that she'll have my back no matter what. And that was already established in a previous conversation, but to really just revisit that and ask about my experiences and um, listen, really truly listen and ask more questions was really beautiful, yeah. yeah. Howie, you are not in long-term rotations right now, but can you tell us about um, some positive things or positive experiences that you've had either with faculty members or classmates 
and give us specific examples of some things that they've done to make you feel like they were um, not only, uh, oh, what's the phrase? I've never lost a word like that, but <laughs> um, like actively an ally. It'll come to me. Madison has said it in the past. It'll come to me, but <laughs> actively an ally to you. Yeah, I mean, I luckily within my own class, we are, we have total of, we have 56 students and out of those 56, we have five people who identify as part of the LGBTQ community, mm -hmm. which is like a decent amount of people. Like it's a, it's a really good number of people. And like, because of that, like I've never felt like I've had to, you know, hide my gayness or whatever mm -hmm. in my class. Like I, you know, I have, and then the people who are part of the community and the friends that I have who aren't, they're extremely supportive. And like, good. sometimes I feel like I, I do speak up a lot and I want to like use my voice when I feel like it matters and they almost always have my back and I, you know, I send them emails like, hey, can you send this to this person? You know, they're very supportive. So I, I definitely think within my own class, it's always, it's been a positive experience and having those people who, you know, like you said, representation really does matter. And if we have five great students who are going to be physical therapists down the road, then that's five PTs who could be mentors or representation for younger kids who will see that, oh, the PT community does accept people who are like me. Right, right. Um, intentional allyship was the phrase I was trying to think of so far. Um, I want to ask too about, uh, this is going back a little ways, but um, Madison, you brought up pronouns. So would one of y'all mind telling us a little bit about what are gender pronouns? And um, we clearly have ours next to our names here. We also recognize what our gender pronouns were when we introduced ourselves. So um, what's the significance of that? Is that something we should be doing all the time? Should we just be reserving it for things like this? What are y'all's thoughts? Do you want to go, Holly? You got it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, there's a couple questions in there, so I'm going to try to answer the easy ones first. Should we be doing this all the time? Absolutely. Um, what are they? They are the terms that you use and that you want to be used for you when you're described. So um, if you were to say, you know, be describing me to one of your friends and you would use the words, she likes to do this, she has a wife, um, that's hers, you know, her thing is this. Um, because that's how I see myself. I see myself with those pronouns mm -hmm. um, because I, I'm cisgender, so I identify with the sex assigned at birth. Mm -hmm. um, and I know I'm throwing out a lot of terms here, people, but just bear with me. Um, and so what the pronouns do, because people don't assume that I have male pronouns or that I have non-binary pronouns. So for me, it's really easy, right? But for people that don't identify as a specific gender, or identify as something that people don't necessarily think they look like, mm -hmm. pronouns can literally save lives. Um, the trans and non-binary community have the highest rates of depression, PTSD, and mm -hmm. suicide. Mm -hmm. um, and those rates are very high in the LGBTQ plus community in general, but those are our most at-risk groups. So a small thing like putting pronouns in your email, um, you know, having a badge that that has it on there or a, an enamel pin or um, on your social media accounts, introducing yourself, saying, hi, my name's Madison. I'm a student physical therapist. My pronouns are she, her, hers. How are you? It's nice to meet you. That opens the door. Um, and that makes me feel safe as somebody that doesn't necessarily have to worry about pronouns. It lets me know that the person's at least making an effort 
So they seem more safe to me automatically. Mm -hmm. um, but for people that really rely on pronouns being used that reflect who they really are, that can change lives and that can open doors, especially for the community that always has healthcare disparities and has been denied care based on who they are. Right. Um, and it is one of the least things that we could do is to just make it common practice because while I have the privilege of not having to worry about that, by helping to normalize saying pronouns and putting them on email signatures, it makes it easy for the people that have different pronouns from the way that other people think they look mm -hmm. or specific pronouns that they want to use that make them feel good because that's who they are. Um, and a side note about that, we shouldn't call them preferred pronouns. They're just pronouns. Like, don't say their preferred name. Mm -hmm. My name's Madison. If I wanted to go by Maddie or something, don't call that my preferred name. It's just, that's my name. If I've told you my, I, my name is Maddie, then that's what it is. If I tell you that my pronouns are she, her, hers, those are my pronouns. They're not my preferred because that's a qualification and that makes it seem like it's an option. Right. So that's just a side note to make sure that we're, normalizing this and that we are being inclusive because words matter and words can hurt too. Yeah, absolutely. Howie, is there anything that you wanted to add? Yeah, I think, I think to that point, I mean, just a, a story that I've uh, encountered in a sense, I, I work at a hospital and uh, there was a patient there that was admitted. Um, she's trans and one of the, I think one of the texts, we're getting the pronouns wrong basically mm -hmm. and she and the tech kept using he him pronouns for this for this woman and when I went to go see her you could and you saw the tech make that slip up you could see the pain that it was causing her and like it's trauma enough already for her being in the hospital for whatever reason she's in the hospital for but to have like someone who's supposed to be taking care of you not recognizing who you are and not like you know, giving you the pronouns that you clearly identify as, mm -hmm. then that can make you feel very unsafe within healthcare. And when healthcare should be that place where we are taking care of you, making you feel better, mm -hmm. getting someone's pronouns wrong um, can be very damaging and, you know, it, it can hinder um, health. Mm -hmm. um, but also I do recognize that it isn't the easiest thing um, because especially within like looking at medical records, and electronic medical records, they don't always have those options. But I think with us as PTs or anyone who's interacting with our patients, kind of using the conversation that we're able to have to really open the gate and then putting a sticky note in our EMRs or putting, making a note in there or making sure that we're telling the next person that's gonna come in, hey, these are their pronouns, use them please. Because mm -hmm. you know it really does make a difference and we have the responsibility to make sure that we're taking care of our patients, not just for ourselves, but for all the other healthcare professionals that we might be working with. What's your preference on if an ally does um, misgender somebody, or I guess what are your thoughts? Do you feel like someone should speak up right then and apologize? Um, do they not make a big deal out of it? What do you think, either with misgendering or just any other, honestly, microaggressions? For me, I think it's, always been best practice to acknowledge that you made a mistake, mm -hmm. apologize for it, and then try to change it. I think overly apologizing and really and bringing it up continuously within the conversation just kind of 
belittles it and makes it seem like it's, and then it makes the patient or the person that you're talking to feel like they have to coddle you. Right. Because it's now their fault for making you feel bad, which mm -hmm. is not the point that we're trying to do. So if you do make a mistake and you recognize that it is a mistake, like with most other mistakes, apologize for it mm -hmm. and then move forward with, by trying your best to correct yourself. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so when we're in these clinical settings, when we're treating our patients, um, when and how and should providers be bringing up gender identity and sexual orientation with their patients? Hallie, we'll start with you. Yeah, I think um, in any case, if you want, if you're a provider and you want to bring up uh, sexual orientation or gender identity or whatever you're looking for, it needs to be with a purpose. Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone should be asking who they, who this person sleeps with or what they identify as if it doesn't apply to their care. Mm -hmm. um, however, if you are having a conversation and they decide to bring it up, then you can talk about it a little bit more, but I don't think you as a provider should be the first person to kind of be like, hey, so this is our first time meeting what is your sexual orientation? Like that's, that's just too much. Right. And of course, if it applies to the care that is being given in terms of pelvic health, that might be applicable in terms of what, what you're looking for. If the patient is talking about their sex life and they want to figure out how to, you know, make sure it's healthy with their pelvic health, mm -hmm. then that opens up the conversation. Um, but I think if it's just out of curiosity, it isn't needed. All right. Madison, do you agree? I agree with that. Um, the only thing that I would add is, well, I would definitely emphasize there needs to be a purpose for it. And if it's just your curiosity, that's super inappropriate and very intrusive. And we don't want that. You know, I don't ask heterosexual people how they have sex or what, you know, parts that they have. Um, so you shouldn't ask that of anybody, really. It's none of your business um, unless it is for a medical purpose. Um, but that's really in our field reserved for pelvic health. Um, I would say that trying to make gender neutral language part of your everyday. So mm -hmm. if you're trying to ask if somebody just say, do you live alone or with somebody? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the person will say, I live with somebody. You don't need to know if it's their sister or their wife or their husband or whatever, because all you need to know for social history is, there's somebody at home that can help them out, right? Mm -hmm. um, ask if you wanna use you know, languages um, and you're, you're trying to have a conversation, just kind of shooting the breeze, you know, you're, you're doing a treatment with somebody, you can say, oh, do you have a partner? Or are you single? Or, you know, if, that's, mm -hmm. if you've established that kind of a, um, an environment with your patient, don't just randomly ask that. But keeping things gender neutral allows people to feel safe. So. Mm -hmm. Um, if I don't feel safe enough to say my wife, I would say, yeah, my partner and I like to do this or whatever. Um, and it keeps it neutral, it keeps it safe, and it keeps it comfortable. So if you are presented in a situation where you're trying to just get to know somebody, but you don't want to be intrusive, mm. gender neutral language like that is really helpful. Yeah. And that too applies across um, every every aspect of our profession too, not just in the clinic. So um, in terms of creating more inclusive spaces, wh whether in the clinic or in the classroom, you y'all brought up um, gender neutral language, you brought up 
in some way showing that you're an ally. You don't have to come out and say it to every single person, but like you said, Madison, having a pin. Um, one of my professors at Duke had a rainbow flag in his office, um, and he's not the type of person to go around and be like, look, everybody, I'm an ally. Like, he's a lot more humble than that, and so um, it's, but you can clearly see it when you walk by his office, so I always really appreciated that about him, um, and then we talked to about um, finding out a person's pronouns. And I think that gets into too like inclusive paperwork. Um, and if you are in a situation, especially as like a, a rehab manager, someone who's in a position of power and can have paperwork changed if need be, I think that's important too to think about. Um, because I think that too, correct me if I'm wrong, but it probably takes the work off the patient and it takes the work off the provider to even figure that out. You just write it on the piece of paper along with everything else. Um, Speaking now to your fellow students. So as students, we're subject to that power dynamic when it comes to working with professors and mentors in the clinic. Um, and that can be escalated even more so as a minority. Uh, so what advice do you have for students who are not straight, who are not cisgendered and feel isolated or afraid to talk about their experience with either their faculty or their clinical instructors? Uh, Madison, we'll start with you then go to Howie. Okay. Um, <laughs> I would try to find uh, resources and you can Google them, you know, um, the Trevor Project, Human Rights Campaign, GLSN, um, GLAD, uh, even online, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you can find a community that you can be supported by and there's no requirement to come out. Um, that's something that you do when and if you feel safe enough to do so and that's, there's no there's no negative feelings about if you're out, that's great. If you're not out, that's fine too. As long as you're safe and you're comfortable, um, just do what you need to do. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're feeling like you're in an unsafe environment um, and you can't go necessarily to your faculty, see about if you can go higher than them um, or if you can find some other students to back you up because you know there, there is strength in numbers. Um, and just going as high as you need to go. If you need to go to your state's um, board member um, for their organization, you know, you're going to find somebody somewhere that's going to help you out. Mm -hmm. It just might take a little bit of time. I think one of the biggest things is find your allies because mm -hmm. um, it's exhausting to, to do the work yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and having people who will support you and will help you do the work makes everything so much better. And if you are having those, you know, if you're having struggles within your program, look outside your program. You know, if, if you're on a medical campus, like I was, you, you know, look outside of it. There's, if there's a center for student diversity, if there's an office of student experience, whatever you might be looking for, find something that where you have people who, who you know will support you and whether or not it's talking to them, just having a safe space to, you know, air your grievances mm -hmm. or having a space where you can, you know, build something to where students like you aren't feeling safe, then that's what you need to do. But I think for me, the biggest thing is just finding those people who will support you unconditionally. Yeah, absolutely. In speaking about resources, um, I have a question for y'all from Facebook about resources. I actually, real quick, um, before I forget, wanted to mention... Um, so PT Proud, um, which is part of APTA, um, has a 
27 page PDF online for free for download called um, Introduction to LGBTQ Plus Competency. And it's a handbook for physical therapy. And so I think that's perfect. <laughs> like I was skimming through it and I was like, what a great place to start if you're overwhelmed, if you're like, I don't know the terms, you know, like just any sort of newness to this conversation. I think that's a fantastic place to start in addition to following Madison on Instagram, obviously. Uh, but I love that um, that resource has already been created. And also on PT Proud's website, they have several other resources listed as well. Um, so that's a great place to start if you are looking for something like that. Um, but from Facebook, we have a question that asks, do any of you have any LGBTQA plus uh, book or author recommendations for those seeking to learn more? Yeah, I can't. I don't remember what it's called. Let me look real quick. It's That's like fine. bodies and barriers or um, I got it from my friend. Follow them on uh, Instagram at, at the rainbow OT. Um, they like to put um, things on there. Some good recommendations. Mm -hmm. But let me look it up really quick. Bodies and barriers. Howie, are there any that come to your mind? Um, not necessarily any sort of books or resources for PT specifically. Um, but I, I think there are a lot of books out there that, that highlight the history of, you know, queer and trans folks. And I think it's great to educate yourself on them. I mean, I, it's super interesting, but also just, you know, and, and throughout your daily life, you know, supporting any sort of queer and trans authors, you know, owners, whatever you're looking for and just having, giving them the space that they deserve because they've been working really hard to get to where they're at. So, Yeah, definitely. And especially queer and trans people of color because people that look like me have gotten a lot of attention for a long time. Um, and there's been a lot of whitewashing of our history. Like don't watch Stonewall to get some history because it makes it look like a bunch of white cisgender men started that movement and that's not accurate. Um, but the book I was talking about is called Bodies and Barriers, um, Queer Activists on Health, and it's by uh, Kate Kendall. And it's just talking about health disparities that, um, how that affects the LGBTQ plus community, like their bodies, but also just their lives in general. Um, and I haven't gotten to quite dive into it too deep yet, um, but it's, it's really good so far. Yeah, I'll definitely check that one out. And, um, and if they haven't already, uh, my board members should be dropping the link to that in the comments as well. If anybody awesome. Thank you. Yeah, um, I think we have time for maybe like one or two more questions. So um, here's another question from Facebook. Um, it asks, what are some ways we can hold our faculty or our programs accountable for staying up to date on LGBTQ plus issues? If there's a student organization, like we have a student physical therapy association on our campus um, mm -hmm. and there, there's talks about trying to get um, a multicultural club started too, but utilize your student reps and your student organizations on campus um, and come up with, hey, this is what we want to tackle, whatever the issue is, you know, if it's Black Lives Matter or if it's the LGBT, LGBTQ plus community, mm -hmm. um, figure out what it is that you're wanting and then present it to the faculty. Like, hey, we think we need more training on this because we are going to go out into the world and have patients like this um, and, and we need to feel competent in being able to treat them um, and trying to link some resources for them or you know mm -hmm. don't don't do all the work for them right you don't have all the mental capacity in the world and that's shouldn't be your job either 
but just trying to bring it up and try to get some faculty members on board because that usually helps um you know with the higher up the hierarchy of of the school as well yeah i think i would i would reiterate just using the resources that you have on your campus um i i am extremely privileged and fortunate to have a medical campus um mm -hmm. so we have all sorts of you know different health professions on it but i mean we've had We've had guest lecturers who've come in who aren't necessarily PTs, but they are educated, very educated within health and queer and trans lives and queer and trans health. So I think it's very, very useful to have people like them come in and not just educate the students, but also have faculty and encourage them to attend these sorts of lectures because they might not have all the answers and that's okay. You know, it's, we, we're not expecting everyone to have all the answers all the time. Right. But we do hope that they have an open mind and they are, you know, committed to learning more about a population that has historically and still is being extremely, uh, is, has been managed poorly in health. Right. So just like as students, like we're uh, encouraged to seek out help and ask for help and not be afraid. Um, that really goes for really anybody in our field too. Um, like you said, Howie, no one's expected to have all the answers, but you know, we are expected to try. Uh, and I think that's the most important part. Um, okay, we're getting pretty close to time. So I do want to give you all the chance, though, to give just like a last closing statement, if there's anything else that you'd like people to know, anything you feel like we didn't hit on. Um, Madison, we can start with you and then go to Howie. This is your time. Anything at all? Uh, I'll be quick. Um, I am a person that is comfortable answering any questions that you have. Um, don't expect everybody to do that, but I do have that space and I do welcome questions. So if anybody does want to connect with me after and ask questions, um, you can ask me anything. You won't offend me. I do ask that you think about the question you're going to ask and try to make it as non-offensive as possible. Um, and I will answer your question, but don't be surprised if I don't say, hey, I, I know that you probably didn't mean that, but this is why you asking it this way is not the best mm -hmm. um, and that's really just to educate whoever's asking me more it's not for me to be a jerk or anything mm -hmm. um, but don't expect everybody to do that and do please reach out for resources you're not going to know everything Howie and I don't know everything um, there are huge gaps in our knowledge there are huge gaps in our experiences um, that we will likely never have just because of the lives that we lead and the people that we are um, so seek out multiple perspectives. We are not monoliths. We are not um, the owners of all the knowledge. And we don't expect you to be perfect at this at all. Growth is about always fighting to be better. Um, and so you should never feel like you've gotten all of the knowledge that you need. So trying is the first part, doing the work yourself, and then reaching out for more help is kind of how the process goes. And if people wanted to reach out to you afterwards, where can they find you? Um, I'm on Facebook. So you could try to send me a message on there. Send me a friend request. I'm not on Twitter. Um, Instagram is probably the best. Or my email is m.kirkpatrick at usa.edu. Um, or there's also an email button on my Instagram page. Or the DMs also work. I, I check those often. So. All right. Perfect. All right. Howie closing statement yeah I think I would say the same thing I I like to think of myself as an open book in terms of um answering any sort of questions that 
I can answer. Again, like Madison said, I don't know everything. Um, it's, I really don't. So don't expect that from me. And I think, and definitely allow, give, give me some grace for anything that, you know, I might just, I might just not, I might take some time to get to your question if you do ask me. Um, and then one last thing I would like to bring up with my language that I've been using for this, this entire hour. I've been using queer and trans folks and versus LGBTQ plus. Um, for me, I'm comfortable saying queer and I use that to kind of as an umbrella term for the entire LGBTQ community. Um, some people are not okay with that. Mm -hmm. um, I would recommend that if you are someone who is referring to them and you're not necessarily part of the community, I would stick to the LGBTQ plus. Um, I like to say queer because it's easier for me and it, to me it kind of signals a way for me to like, I don't know, kind of signal, signal to other people that I'm part of the community because I'm more comfortable saying that. Mm -hmm. But um, just to put that out there, because I know that some people might have been confused about, is it okay to say queer? Is it not okay? I would stick with LGBTQ if you are unsure. And then, you know, you'll, you'll figure it out as you move along. Yeah, thank you for clarifying that. So where can people find you if they want to reach out? Um, similarly to Madison, I am not on Twitter. Uh, I am on Facebook. Uh, you can probably message me there. I am on Instagram. My account is private, but you are more than welcome to send me a DM. Um, you can send me an email. It's my name hyphen in the middle. So howie-wang at outlook.com. You know, hang out, come chat with me. I am more than happy just to, to chat and make some friends. <laughs> That's perfect. Well, thank you both so much. I know I really, really appreciate this conversation. I always appreciate talking with you both. Um, it's always the highlight of my day. Um, I know everybody else appreciates it as well. I have just two quick announcements to give on behalf of um, APTA students, and then um, we're signing off for the night. First announcement is applications for the APTA student members board of directors are open and the deadline has actually been extended to July 3rd. So you have a few more days to work on it. Um, let's get those in, contact nominating committee for more information, nominating committee or someone else will put their information in the comments and you can apply uh, at engage.apta.org. And like I've been saying, if you want to have the opportunity to meet incredible people like Howie and Madison um, and do my job, my job is also open. Um, so please apply. And the next APTA Live student night will actually be next weekend <laughs> on Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern um, on a topic that I think a lot of people are going to find extremely, extremely relevant for all times, but uh, maybe especially now. Um, I want to share just a quick quote before we leave. Um, Howie, this is from your blog post. You said, oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> you said, being yourself means that you love who you are, you respect who you are, and you don't let other people define who you are. Thank you both so much again, and thank you to everyone who joined in tonight. Take care, everybody.